Hey guys, welcome to the We Are Men podcast. I am your host, Carl Mason. And in this podcast, we sit down and talk with local heroes from Southwest Sydney about life, mental health, and strategies for coping with the day-to-day issues that we all face as men. Our aim with this podcast is to create a space where men can open up and discuss their mental health without the fear of shame or exclusion. I know it can be hard to ask for help as a man, but no man needs to struggle alone. We hope to encourage all men to talk about what they're going through and seek help when they need it. A quick note, this podcast may feature some adult language and suicide may be discussed, which could be triggering for some listeners. Blair is from Mowbray Park and manages the Mowbray Park farm stay, which has been in his wife's family for 48 years. As well as being a councillor on the Wallandilly Shire Council, Blair is also a volunteer firefighter with the RFS and is now the senior deputy captain with the Lakesland Brigade. He is heavily involved with his local community and believes community is the essence of humanity. Let's jump in and listen to the chat with Blair. Okay, so Blair, first off, I just want to say a huge thank you for giving the time to be involved today. This project is something we're all passionate about here. Um, and just sitting down, having chat a chat with men um, has been a great experience for me myself and I think more men should do it so yeah. hopefully by seeing this video other men are going to be inspired to sit down and have a chat with their mates so thank you well you're welcome and I hope so too so uh, Blair how long have you had this farm for it's been in my wife's family for 48 years uh, I've been managing the property since 2007 and can you tell me a little bit about what you do here what your everyday yeah life is my Greater responsibilities are to the welfare of uh, the farm and farm animals. So every day I'm doing some aspect of farming. But of course, agricultural tourism is, is, uh, is almost what we're here for. And so uh, every day, uh, every weekend, we have families predominantly from Sydney and prior to 2020 from overseas that would come and stay here uh, seeking to provide to their children a farm experience and so the experience is very hands-on it requires supervision which I or my staff provide uh, it's quite intense uh, it's it's hospitality with uh, a high level of interaction so I that, that's the mixture of my two roles excellent so what uh, what do you have these people doing like you have animals on this farm yeah so we have uh, an animal nursery where we uh, we have our uh, breeding programs with various animals and the children get to spend time with them, they feed them, they tend to them uh, and we like to teach. Everything we do is themed with something of an educational narrative so that the children understand agriculture, uh, they understand importantly to us uh, animal husbandry, care and through that experience we hope that they, they have some, uh, some something they've learned when they leave. But of course, it all has to be infused with fun. Uh, and, and that's the joy. We get a lot of energy back from that. The joy on a child's face, the joy on a parent's face, the cameras are, are running uh, because we offer pony rides. And, uh, and then we also have natural horsemanship experience for the, for the growing ups. So it's a, a, they're very full days, very full days. Did you, uh, have you grown up doing this kind of work? Or is it something that was new to you when you came into this house? Hospitality was new to me when I came into this house. I'm, I'm an engineer by background. Uh, I, uh, our family in New Zealand had farms, although I didn't live on them. I worked on the farms each school holidays. So I've, I've always been around agriculture and, I, and I, do, I do love agriculture. 
that hospitality is a new experience. Um, obviously, the last however, 12 months or a bit more mm -hmm. have been a, a really tough time for farmers. How has that affected you? Uh, well, our tough time really, Carl, has been the last four years. Uh, three years of relentless drought, which uh, even even now, after the fires and the flood and COVID, I still look to the drought as probably being the most difficult time of the last four years. It's relentless. It's 24 hours a day. Uh, you, you're just consumed by uh, welfare issues relating to your animals, the viability of the farm, the ability to fund feed, water security. It, it just doesn't stop. That sounds like a huge amount of responsibility, you know, taking care of your life, your family's life, all these animals' life. Um, how, in that time of drought, how did you work through that? Uh, I probably struggled at times. Uh, I just had to get up early in the morning. I had a routine. Uh, it's important to, to stick to that routine and that would be based around the animals and the property. Of course, we still had guests uh, which needed to be uh, looked after. So you had to go about the grim business of managing a farm in, a, in, a, in difficult circumstances and then switch hats and uh, personality somewhat to then meet the needs and expectations of your visiting guests. Yeah. Was that tough to you know, really be going through a hard time but then kind of have to flip a switch and put on a happy face? It was tough but it was also a welcome relief. So yes, it was tough, but it, but I but I look forward to when we had people on the farm, be it the schools or the overseas tour groups or all the families. It, for me, it was just an opportunity to to get away from the drought, uh, and it was also quite uh, cathartic talking about it with different guests, uh, the ones that that sought more knowledge about the experience we were going through. So that sounds pretty hard. Drought straight into fires. Mm, yes. And straight into. Did you have floods here? We had a flood, I'm afraid. <laughs> and then straight into <clears throat> COVID 19, yes. straight. Those four things. Yes. Um, that's just a long slog. Mm. In that time, what was the really the toughest time where you, where you thought, oh, this is, you know, this is getting a lot? Uh, towards the end of the drought. When I say the end of the drought, uh, there was a, a significant decision that Jackie and I made to literally destock the property, uh, and that was a very, very tough decision. We'd been, uh, you know, raising stock and breeding stock over all the years that we've been here, uh, and the decision to to sell them, and of course, at a low price, uh, was really quite uh, upsetting. And it was about funding. The, uh, we had to keep funding feed and so forth. So that was, uh, that was a decision that I made, or we made, about um, a month before the f fires got to this area. And as you're aware, my background in firefighting, I was quite confident that the fires were going to make it to this area. And I was pretty sure about when they would make it. And uh, some of those management decisions I made on the farm were uh, as a consequence of those expectations. Mm -hmm. And when the fire did reach this area, um, what were the effects on you then? Look, I wasn't probably 
ready in the sense that I was pretty exhausted and I said to Jackie before I committed in early November 2019 that I simply wanted to be just one of the team. I just kind of wanted to be in the back of the truck and just go about my my work with the crew. I didn't particularly want um, a lot of responsibility. I have been a captain on two occasions and uh, an officer for for 23 or 4 years, I'm not sure exactly. And uh, I have some experience as a, a result of that time in service. That didn't last long, um, and I was soon finding myself uh, just elevated to, uh, well, up to divisional commander. Uh, I was always a crew leader and sector leader. And actually, it, that helped me enormously. Uh, once I accepted uh, some of that responsibility, and then I, I welcomed it. Uh, but my initial foray into the fires was that I actually wanted no responsibility other than just firefighting. But, you know, in the end that changed. And um, I decided to do night shifts uh, because we still had the drought. So I would uh, do around three night shifts a week, each night shift around 12 hours. And then I would rest and then um, head out and help uh, Jackie on the farm. Uh, or deal with my hospitality duties as they came up. Because, you know, as, as well as myself firefighting, it was pretty difficult on Jackie because, you know, for a lot of that time I wasn't here. Yeah, it must have been pretty exhausting trying to manage all of that. It, it was, but again, I, it, it seemed the fires just gave me a slightly different purpose uh, after a few years of just really, uh, you know, just struggling really, just fighting against um, the conditions. Yeah. And, of course, we're, I've got a responsibility to the family, uh, to, not only to my family, but uh, to Jackie's family. This is, this is the family property. It's been in the family for almost, well, 48 years. Uh, and I, you know, I've, I've, I actually feel that responsibility daily, uh, that, that, that I have to ensure that this property is viable, can be maintained, and continues to operate as a business. So that's that's front and centre of pretty well every day. Yeah, that's a lot of weight, and that's something I think we've heard from a few farmers we've spoken to in the past. Uh, that feeling of having, you know, this the weight of this has been in the family for a couple of generations. This farm, um, grandfather looked after it, father looked after it, and now if it fails on your watch, mm. that like how does that feel to? Oh, to that's have that? just I couldn't. I mean, I don't know how how I would cope with that. Uh, it's just that is that just cannot happen. Uh, so, you know, what I do is to plan as far ahead as I can. Uh, I, additionally to what we're talking about, I suppose incorporated in, into those duties associated with managing this business and farm, is my constant um, reviewing of uh, tourism data at both the domestic and international level. I try to um, look at what trends uh, may be emerging and I then have to try and make links between uh, those trends and the relevancy of this experience and that it would continue to resonate with um, the, the changing expectations of the consumer. So <clears throat> that's, that's something that I have to think about all the time because businesses do have a life cycle. Um, and I have to ensure that the 
business's life cycle is a very long one. Importantly, it needs to be a profitable one. Uh, it's an historic property. It's a, it's a large property, and it takes an enormous amount of work to, to keep it maintained. It sounds like you, you guys are doing an incredible job um, and being you know, very forward-thinking and planning through a very tough time with the last four years to now to keep this going successfully. Um, I've had an experience where I spent a year of my life on a business. Um, I spent a year planning, building, um, and then when, when, when I went to launch the business, it was COVID kicked oh, off. Really? Uh, and and it, it was just, you know, soul crushing because it's like it wasn't anything in my... I did everything right. I did everything that yeah. I was supposed to do yeah. and something out of my control meant that it wasn't, wasn't where it was supposed to be. Is that kind of the feeling you have with the droughts? It's like you're doing all the hard work, you're doing all of everything right, but you can't control the weather. It's... You cannot. You cannot. And uh, for us, uh, for us, our train wreck of, of the last 12 months especially could be described as that, began in September, October last year when media coverage of the fires was reaching into our overseas markets and those overseas markets were beginning to respond uh, with regards to the risk. And so by this time last year, almost exactly this time last year, our business was already 52% down. And of course, we hadn't even heard of COVID by then. Uh, so our school business had postponed all our ITOs from China, Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, throughout Asia, Indonesia, Vietnam, Korea, of course, were all postponing and cancelling due to the fires. So, you know, we just went from that train wreck to just a slightly bigger one, um, you know, two, um, six weeks or so after into the new year. So how are you managing now? That we're still, we're kind of, you know, here we're kind of coming out of COVID, but other places, you know, there's still no international travel. Yeah. Look, I'm, we're actually coping quite well um, since... Well, very early in the piece, I should I should say, very early in the piece, I thought about what it had, what it is that we have here at, at Mowbray Park, and of course we have all these dwellings. So I started reaching out into different areas uh, to see whether or not we could provide accommodation to those that needed accommodation. This is well before the the hotel isolation program began. And we were lucky enough to get um, some beautiful families that stayed here, including from the Defence Department, travellers that could not get back into Western Australia, families. And it turned out to be an incredibly positive time for us. The business was shut down, but we had uh, a good number of us here on the farm living here and um, having fun, doing projects together, working on the farm. And that helped us because it provided a meagre income, which... <clears throat> at least, you know, paid our power bill and, and necessary outgoings. And then the support programs swung into gear and, and they were just, uh, they were terrific and that, that helped us. So we came through that okay. Uh, of course, I, was re I realised that uh, I knew that overseas travel would be gone for a very long time. So then Jackie and I had to start making decisions as to how we remodel the business uh, to place more emphasis on a domestic market, and that's been our that's been our emphasis uh, all of this year. Uh, we have uh, made some minor adjustments in in our lodges to uh, accommodate 
uh, in what we call self-cater for people to, uh, to look after themselves when they're staying on farm as opposed to us providing catering. Uh, that was a price point shift. It had a broader appeal uh, and it seems at this stage to be a good decision. Uh, and so it is, it is through that that we are trying to make up uh, some of that loss that we won't see come back for, for quite a number of years. And of course, by having the business shift in this way, we have also had an impact on the outgoing costs that the business incurs. And so we've tried to reduce those and we've successfully reduced those to some extent. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling pretty good actually. I think we're, we're okay. It's good to hear that yeah. <laughs> after four years of, what was the word you said? Uh, oh, train wreck. Train wreck, yeah. <laughs> things are looking good. Yeah. Um, you mentioned <clears throat> about your, that you spent some time with the RFS. Yes. Could you tell us a little about your history yeah. working with them? Uh, I joined the RFS uh, back in 1994 and, uh, and, and then uh, I moved, that was in the Southern Highlands, and then I moved to, to Picton in 1995, joined the Picton Brigade and became captain in 1999 or it might have been 2000, but anyway, just six months before the 2001 Christmas fires, so it was a, literally a baptism of fire for me. Uh, I found I enjoyed um, the leadership role. Uh, I enjoy working with uh, mixed crews, various crews, and felt that we all had a, a common purpose and a, and a drive to um, serve the community. And so it's something that I've continued to enjoy. Uh, when I moved here in 2007, I joined uh, the Lakesland Brigade, which I'm, a current, I'm the senior deputy captain there now. And I was captain there from around 2011, 2015. So uh, the role has been an incredibly satisfying role. Uh, and I work with some wonderful, wonderful people who have become very close friends. Uh, but when we're on the job, uh, I, like, I like to have a professional outfit around me. I like uh, good leadership uh, that's above me, beside me, and uh, I just focus on getting the job done and getting home. Sure. And that's completely volunteer? Yes, it is. All that work? Why is that important to you to give... You're already obviously working so hard to give your time for the community. I remember a saying from a very, very long time ago, something along the lines that uh, once every every few years, uh, our our society gets to vote for the community that they want. Uh, but as a volunteer, you're voting for the community you want every day. Uh, if every member of our society, our community, gave just a few percent back to their community, then uh, you know, what a wonderful society we would have. So uh, it was installed in me from my parents that you know, we must give we must give something to our community by whatever means. My m mother and father were Meals on Wheels and, and different charities and, and they were both very, very busy people. Yeah. Just give a little bit and uh, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Obviously, the giving in the community and helping the community does wonderful things for the community and for other people. But do you think you yourself get something from that as well? Oh, yes, yes. I, I get satisfaction from... Um, from being a volunteer, I don't particularly like uh, fires. I don't. I, I, for me, a, a good fire season is really no call-outs. 
um, but that's probably because I've been in the service a long time. <laughs> you might not get a lot of younger, more recent firefighters agree with that statement, but uh, it's just the fact that they're going to happen. And uh, I don't, uh, when I'm out firefighting, I, I just, I, I come home when the job is done, um, but I don't look to stay around and soak anything up. There's nothing to soak up for me. I just, I just want to make sure my crew uh, does a very good job and uh, come come home safely. Yep. You said that you going uh, when the fires happened. Funnily enough, that it was kind of like a break for you, uh, mm. an escape from the stress that you were having. Yeah. Do you think that um, other men who are watching this, who might be going through quite a tough time, that some kind of giving back to the community or some kind of new experience or volunteering can be a good escape for them? Like that's some good advice to follow? Absolutely. I believe that it is. There's a lot to be offered by offering yourself. Um, it's, it's the giving. And you could, you could say that there's a selfish return in that, uh, that, it, that, that it, helps, as it helps you internally. Well, if that's the case, then fine. Um, yes, I do get satisfaction from volunteering, but it's an important job and generally speaking, Australia would struggle to survive without volunteers. It's a large landmass with um, a small population, relatively speaking. So other men should look at it or should consider it. It doesn't have to be firefighting. There's so many things to do. And, 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 in, and in my, old, my older years, I, I won't be firefighting. I'll move that... Um, community participation to some other role to which I'm more physically uh, uh, capable of because there will come a day when frontline firefighting is is not something that I that I want to do because I will I may not be um, have the physical prowess and, and therefore I would my crew would not be safe but you you think you will find something else another way that you can give back to the community when that happens oh absolutely there's, there's countless ways what do you think is uh, a myth about male mental health? I, I don't think men talk about it. It's, you know, some do, but most don't. I think it, there's still a belief that any display of emotional confession, if you like, is a sign of weakness. And I think it's probably perpetrated just by societal norms. Uh, it is... I think it's hard for many men to, to talk. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a myth, but uh, that's my understanding of your question. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's hard for yourself as well? Um, yes, uh, it is. Uh, I actually recall, gosh, 20 odd, 2001 or two, when after completing the Christmas fires experience, I, I, I was working for a public company and travelling all over the place and I had to go down to Melbourne and I, I just remember so well, just for some reason, just one particular day I was I was going to where I was staying in, in Melbourne probably only a couple of three weeks uh, after those fires, that fire campaign ended and I just, I don't know, I just hit a wall and yeah, I'll never forget it. I, I don't recall what triggered it. Um, but I distinctly remember just hitting a wall. Uh, I didn't really talk to anybody about it. And then again, and I have talked to other fire brigade colleagues about this, 2009, I was in Victoria for the Black Saturday fires. I was down there about 
36 hours, I think, after the Saturday, so one of the early interstate crews. And I remember being with my colleagues and there were photos taken before we went into Victoria. Uh, but what resonates with me, and I actually have this photo, I keep this photo close to me, is a photo of all of us after we returned. And probably only for those of us that were there can see what's in that photo. You know, the, the looks on the people's faces. Yeah. I look at it occasionally, I only looked at it again recently. It's, oh, I don't know, it's a resignation. It's a resignation of, uh, of a shared experience and I think it's shock, actually. There's a look of shock. Yeah, my most profound experience I've probably had was uh, we uh, had our charter flight back from Melbourne. We were exhausted. We were benefit of hindsight, I think we were in shock at the devastating loss. And uh, when we came through the airport, yeah. you don't mind? No, it'll take a minute. Yeah, this is, I knew this would be, be tough. We, uh, uh, we came through the airport and uh, Everybody just stopped and clapped, and um, you know, I, I didn't know where to hide really. To be honest, you know, we didn't suffer the loss, uh, but those people wanted to be connected to that loss, and I think they connected to that loss through us. Uh, but so many of us found that so difficult emotionally. You know, we were just, we just went down there to do what we could do. You know. It wasn't our loss. Uh, so I, I, found, I still find that tough. So I get that from that photo. Thanks for sharing that. It must have been a right. horrifying experience. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I think it's incredible that you give your time up to try and help the community in a way you know, that, that is dangerous and you're putting yourself at risk. But the reason behind it is that you want to give back. I think that's incredible. So yeah. thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, in that time when you said that second time you did speak to your fellow firefighters, what benefits did you get from speaking about it? Um, just uh, understanding that others felt the same, that you couldn't go through an experience like that without being affected. Yeah. That, that's pretty important. Do you think that helps knowing that other people... You're not alone in that, you know, oh, going through something? Ab absolutely. And it's so typically selfish to think that, you know, we're Robinson Crusoe, we're not. You know, if humans have been evolving for a very long time and have undertaken many experiences much more dramatic than, than firefighting. And where we're sitting today, as I mentioned earlier, this, this very home was a repatriation hospital for officers returning from service for World War I. Well, I couldn't possibly imagine what, what they must have been going through. But we each have our own uh, issues in terms of experiences that we that we have, uh, and if any trauma is um, you know comes along with those experiences, and unfortunately, as a volunteer firefighter, you will be exposed to loss, and uh, it's sometimes difficult to deal with. Yeah, mm. I definitely agree with that, especially around trauma. I think you know, trauma is something that a lot of people just try to, well, especially a lot of men, just try to push down and I'll deal with it. Um, but f 
from everyone we've spoken to, um, you know, the, the fact that if you get to a point with, with trauma that where you can't fix it yourself, that's asking for help or seeking help is, is something that has to happen. It does yeah. have to happen. I do like the fact that the RFS have critical incidents uh, uh, people and, and counselling. They, the support there is quite um, phenomenal. Um, sadly, I was uh, I was sector leader uh, locally here on the evening that uh, two firefighters were killed in a in a truck uh, rollover. So that was a difficult night for myself and my crew. But uh, we you know we had tasks that we had to attend to, and, and we did, um, to a high degree of professionalism over that night, uh, knowing, of course, what had just occurred and, and that the uh, you know, profound sense of loss that, that those families and fellow crew members were feeling, that we had to go about our job, um, you know, with that incident there you know, visible for us all, we, all evening. Sorry you have to go through that. That sounds yeah, horrible. Look, yeah, it was uh, pretty awful, but we did what we had to do and, you know, that's what we're there for. Yeah. Coming out of that, how did you um, kind of deal with that after everything had settled down? For me, for me it was probably quite good because of my um, involvement with council. Uh, I was immediately involved in uh, the, the, all the discussions surrounding post-fire recovery for communities and support to individual families. So I moved straight from firefighting to uh, in my role as uh, with council, just um, listening and understanding and, uh, and, and participating with feedback where I could, uh, which also included and significantly included that particular area. And I'll be there on Saturday week as uh, the official opening and memorial. Along, uh, you know, there'll be and many people there, including the families that lost their loved ones, and uh, Prime Minister and the Premier will be there as well. So, for me, it wasn't switched off immediately that night, and I think um, being involved in further processes afterwards has actually been quite helpful. Uh, I've attended a number of um, recovery meetings, and and I had I've had some good time with uh, with fellow firefighters uh, just recently two of our brigades that uh, went through a particularly difficult uh, period we got together for a, a barbecue and it was a wonderful debriefing yeah. uh, so we do this better now I must admit I think uh, men do it better now uh, I think there's some ways to go but compared to uh, two decades ago or a decade ago uh, I was encouraged at a recent event with the brigades that so many people were willing to talk about it. And I found that quite cathartic, and I was encouraged by that. Yeah, I think that's a pattern we've seen in people we've spoken to who have gone through trauma, is that the people who isolated themselves you know, really struggled, and the people mm. who got into a community, surrounded themselves with people and processed mm. it, were doing a lot better. Mm. Yeah, look, people do care. Um, I think you can fall into the trap, perhaps, of thinking that people don't, but people do. Um, you know, we care very, very much. Uh, but you have to give a little bit to get some back. Uh, Blake, can I ask, what advice uh, would you have for other men 
who have been through something tough and they're not dealing with it well? You, you have to find you have to find somebody you can talk to, and and it's not easy. Um, sometimes the people is odd as this might sound, sometimes it's hard talking to the people that are closest to you. Uh, you you've probably got to talk to someone who you've shared the experience with or sharing an experience with. Because I think sometimes when we we just talk about things for talking's sake, we embellish it, we rationalise it, we modify it to to sort of meet our own needs or bias. And that in doing so, I think we skirt around sometimes the core issues. Uh, again, we're concerned about exposure of weakness, um, how we're now going to be seen or considered, which is why sometimes it's difficult with the people that you're closest with. Um, so I, 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 I think it's good to seek help um, it's out there. I think younger people today are probably more willing to do that than people of my age and generation. I think, you know, we're just raised with that kind of stoic um, push or push through type of approach. And being from southern New Zealand as I am, it's quite a conservative environment that I was raised in, so that probably doesn't help. But uh, you just do your best, but definitely try and find somebody you're comfortable talking to. But you must, you must share it with your spouse. That's critical, and that's been a great help to me. Yeah. I think that's incredible advice. That's exactly what this project we're trying to do, is just get that message across that you don't have to do it all on your own. You know? No. Just share it with your partner. Yeah. Share it with your trusted friend. Or share it with the counsellor. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you need help... It's, it's we, there. We keep saying it like if you hurt your knee, you go yeah. to the doctor, yeah. you might need to get a strap. You know, yeah. If you're going through something tough, you go to the doctor. You know, it's 100% right. Thing. Yeah, it is, it is right. So as I say it, I'm probably a, an example of uh, having not done it perhaps in the past when I should have, but um, I'm aware of it and uh, I think about it quite often. And the experience of the last four years is, has brought that to the fore. I'm better off for it, I think. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm tougher for it. I don't think tougher in, this, that, in, in the normal context of that word is necessarily appropriate, but perhaps I'm a little bit more resilient as a result of it. That's exactly the word we're um, using in these series is resilience because mm. that's, I think, something that a lot of people are lacking today yeah. and it's a very powerful trait to have because mm. things go wrong if you can stay resilient. You know, you find a way through, you find a way to keep going. If it's seeking help, doing this, doing that, yeah. it's being resilient is very yeah. important. Yeah. Indeed. The underlying concern is that I think we all fear that we'll be judged and we all fear uh, whether that judgment then um, hangs above you like a cloud. Now, in reality, it doesn't. But if you think that it does, then that, would that will have an impact on the way you think, the way you feel. And, and the way that you're going to communicate or not communicate. So judgment is a, is, a, is, a, is a dark driver in pushing emotional issues down. I, I think that's a great point that you can't use, you know, if judgment is what you're basing your decisions on, it, it's not going to... I know I've done that before, 
where mm. I will avoid something or do something because of the fear of being judged. Or, oh. And you just, you know, you're not going in any direction. You're just know, like, trying to dodge other people's judgments it's, and they're, they're mostly in your head anyway. It's, straight, absolutely, it's dreadful, yeah. actually, to be honest. It's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's so tribal. Exactly. Mm. How has the, the drought and the bushfire and, I guess, COVID uh, impacted the well-being of your community? Our community has had something of a roller coaster in so much as the drought was a little sleeping giant that I believe blindsided many of us. We'd had significant flood 2016 and then into this massive change in weather behaviour just 2017 and then Oh, I don't know, it seems like we just woke up one day with this crippling drought, which I know is ridiculous because they, they don't turn up quickly. During that period, the community still reeling from the 2016 floods started understanding and, 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 and seeing what life was like through the prism of agriculture. And then throughout the whole nation that occurred, and I was humbled by the not only the exposure that the media offered to, uh, to the farming communities, but the wonderful work that was done getting into the households of those farming families, uh, I found that was a, a great leap forward in terms of the understanding between urban and rural communities. When the fires came, it rose to a whole new level in a, in a smaller area and that was uh, demonstrated by the phenomenal quantity of food and, and support that was offered by members of, of the urban communities back into these regional areas. I found that so humbling and just the gratitude I felt and was just, just inspiring. Unfortunately, uh, when the pandemic hit, we then had a foe that could not be seen, least of all be understood, and we saw individualism uh, accelerate ahead of community solidarity. I suppose that manifested itself through panic buying and, and, and very poor social behaviour in, in and around those environments. And I found that very disappointing after the goodwill that had been built uh, through those other shared experiences. We now had one of an international magnitude that um, many of us, I believe, were were not um, managing particularly well. That recovered after the initial, initial shock, and so I'm pleased to be able to sit before you now and say that I, uh, my high level of encouragement uh, with the way the community has rallied is, is probably back to a pretty high level, as we here in this community, in the Wallandilly, have, uh, have uh, put out so much in the way of support for, for families. It's just been a transition from the fires through to COVID. But it was a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah. Do you think in, in a, that having a strong community uh, would have helped yourself and the rest of the community to get through those, especially the fires and the floods? Like being out without a community, do you think it would have been harder than having a strong community? Oh, it would be impossible. Um, you know, community is the essence of, of humanity. Uh, I'm not sure where I heard it or read it, but it, Apparently, early communities, around 150 people, that was, everybody was, was pretty close. Um, it's, it is, it's the centre of our society. If you don't have 
a coherent, committed community, then you've probably got uh, some degree of, of anarchy, perhaps. Might be too strong a word, but uh, it's, it's community, it's family, community, nation. I understand that. We live in the inner city at the moment, and even though there's people everywhere, there's no, no community. Mm. We, we're, we're moving up to the central coast because we want to find community. Yeah. So we're actually moving away from all the people yeah. to find a stronger community, yeah. which sounds funny, but yeah. I think there's just you know, too many people. Yeah. I have faith the... that it exists there. Uh, it just needs, it needs a vehicle. And uh, that um, situation that I experienced at the airport back in uh, 2009, I think, was an example of the community reaching out the only way they knew how at that time. I think uh, the countless ute loads, trailer loads, car loads, boot loads of, of food and, and uh, welfare that was distributed to fire brigades throughout the state was another vehicle that the urban communities could use to, to draw themselves to that sense of community. I don't believe we're any different whatsoever. It's just that in a smaller community and in a regional community such as this, we do have weather events that inevitably will draw us together. Uh, in a large city, it would have to be an event of a different nature. And I fear that you know, that different nature could, could, could be you know, a, a dreadful uh, occurrence. It could be a significant industrial incident, accident, you know, something of a, of a magnitude that could happen in a densely populated area. So I hope that never occurs. But we're all the same. We all want the same. We, it's, just, it's just a difference between where we live and, and the, the impacts that come from that. Yep. I definitely think in our area, people, everyone wants the community, but I don't, it just, like you said, it, there's nothing that's bringing them together. But yeah. definitely there's the want, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So we said the, the, the train wreck years, um, and this is a tough one that I've definitely struggled with, especially with that experience with the business. Mm. Um, how do you keep your identity and self of worth separate from you know, the success or, or how the farm's going because you know, it's out of your control with the drought? How do you separate that? Um, I don't see success or failure necessarily as a, as a single entity. Um, both of them sneak up very, very slowly and seem to be very, very quick right at the end. But I don't have an eye for either. I, 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 um, I, I don't, I don't uh, particularly, or should I say that the, the term success doesn't particularly resonate with, with me so much as if I'm doing the things that I ought to be doing, um, uh, supporting uh, my family, um, supporting my community, uh, supporting, of course, my broader family and the responsibilities of this business, then everything else will, will line up. And that's how I see it. I don't, I don't have some light at the end of a tunnel or some beacon on a hill that represents success. And equally, I don't have one that represents failure. Failure is a little closer uh, because 
uh, if you fail to meet the needs of your family, your broader family, your community, then to a degree failure is almost assured. But um, I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure I separate them. I just, I know that if I get up in the morning um, and uh, do my job to the best of my ability and consider those that are around me and give time to those that should have the time, um, then everything else will, will work. Everything else will line up. Thank you for tuning in. A huge thank you to our guest. Make sure you head to wearemen.com.au for more information about the project and for a list of services that are available to men out there who want to learn how to be a man who talks. See you guys next week.